Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley, and we are both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team. And we're on the podcast to try and help break down some of the challenging compliance issues that are in front of employers with respect to their group health plans and their other employee benefits. And Suzanne, welcome to 2023. Happy New Year to you. Right. Happy New Year, Chase. Yeah, this is great. This is our sixth year of doing this podcast. It's been a fun ride. It's been a fun ride, and we hope to continue it uh, in 2023 and beyond. And again, we we started this podcast as an, sort of an informal way to talk about compliance issues. Uh, we also provide a bi-monthly newsletter called Compliance Corner that outlines recent legislation and regulation at both the federal and state level. Uh, but we like to use the podcast to go into more discussion in advance of such changes and to talk about clarifications on new laws or to bring in just discussion to various healthcare policies. It just gives us a little bit of a different format, a more conversational format. Um, So today though, we're gonna be looking uh, forward to 2023 and highlighting the areas of healthcare policy that will likely be on center stage uh, for employers. And so Suzanne, why don't you start us off with the first thing that employers need to worry about with respect to healthcare policy in 2023? Yeah, and first I want to give a shout out to the CIAB. They they are the, a wonderful lobbying group that we work with in DC that keeps us very connected to in, employment uh, uh, issues and group health plans as well as other insurance issues. But they they keep their ear to the ground and they have the relationship in uh, Congress and so forth to to let us know what's happening. Um, so one thing that the midterm elections did make clear was that the voters remain concerned about health care and abortions. Those were two of the top concerns. And so even though we see a divided Congress, as we we have been experiencing, there seems to be some bipartisan support for regulations, if not legislation, that would expand access to care and reduce health care costs. So that's generally driving some Um, bipartisan support. And so we're going to start with transparency because that seems to have so many legs. Um, But transparency is viewed by policymakers as a tool to reduce healthcare costs. So we've seen both parties that are signaling a commitment to pursue tighter uh, price transparency requirements, uh, starting with PBM reforms. There's been PBMs being pharmacy benefit managers. There's been a lot of activity at um, states like Iowa, Michigan, New York, and Vermont, and now we're likely to see it at the federal level. In June, the FTC announced an investigation into the six largest PBMs business practices. Um, They're wanting to review the competitive impact of PBMs, including their impact on prescription drug access and affordability. And senators have asked the FTC to issue a report on their findings, and so we're likely to see the use of those findings in future regulatory or legislative action. Um, we will also see a push for more transparency in healthcare cost. Um, this was led by the No Surprises Act and the Transparency and Coverage, um, and then of course the uh, the CAA, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. Um, so it's it is ongoing. There's long term implications, especially for the pharmacy space. Um, as of January one. 
Health plans must provide online calculators for plan members so that they can get an estimate of what will they will owe, including deductibles and co-payments for uh, 500 non-emergency medical services. And these are called shoppable um, healthcare services because there's time for to consider the, your options if you're given this information. And this will extend to certain prescription information in 2024. So the consumer tool requirement is on top of other price information disclosures that have been required in the past couple of years um, for health plans and insurers to publicly post certain pricing data. Um, that data that's been released so far has been very uh, voluminous and very cumbersome to analyze and really not uh, usable by most consumers. And so this price estimator tool is that thing that fills that gap and helps um, make that information more usable. Of course, the end goal is that the plan members, the um, patients will have make more informed decisions before they move forward with certain healthcare services. And I guess the idea is that they will do it on a cost basis. Um, now, as we look at transparency of prescription information, the CAA requires group health plans and insurers to report data about prescription drug pricing in addition to the healthcare data that we mentioned previously. The first reports were due December 27th, 2022, um, and there was a reprieve that was provided by this CAA, so the the Consolidated Appropriations Act for 2023. And it added a grace period until January 31st of this year. And also it added a good faith compliance threshold. So that's always welcome news because certainly when you're trying to report in on new data, um, there's um, there's a lack of clarity around how some of this data should be reported. We like to see that there's a good faith compliance threshold so that they will not take an action against anyone who truly is trying to comply, and they may not be getting it exactly how it's intended. So I'm not going to go into all of the challenges challenges and the implementation changes that um, are around this topic. We've certainly written up uh, this topic in our compliance corner or Washington update, and we've, we, we will continue to provide information on this subject. Needless to say, there's been so many challenges for plain sponsors to comply. They rarely have access to this information. Um, also, what has been delayed is the transparency and coverage regulation, and that was similar in transparency of prescription drug information, but it required machine-readable prescription drug file that would be publicly disclosed, um, and it would include in-network negotiated rates and historical net pricing for certain covered prescription drugs um, for group health plans. So we've heard that this provision may not go into effect because of the overlap with the CAA, which we just discussed, but we'll have to wait and see. So to provide a little bit more, uh, unpack that a little bit, to explain that a little bit more, um, again, to compare, the CAA requires the RxDC reports to CMS, which is the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services. Um, it does not provide the granular visibility to the payers, to the employers, and to the public at large into what the group health plans pays for prescription drugs instead. There's a report that is published by the federal tri-agencies that will be posted on the internet, and it will have data that's aggregated to eliminate like identify, excuse me, individually identifiable or plan specific information. And so the intent really is for the reported data to help identify excessive drug pricing that's due to just market concentration um, to promote generic drugs. 
and also to look at the cost impact of those drug manufacturer rebates. So it really has a bit more of a global reach. The machine readable file in contrast um, that's required under, under the transparency in coverage, it requires detailed information to be disclosed publicly. So while there is overlap, there's still this interest in the public facing data. So we'll have to see how it comes to fruition or not. So. Yeah, and that this um, there's there's a few different ways in which we use the term transparency, which can be confusing to employers. I think you've broken it out well there, and the, just the general idea we're trying to get better information to consumers eventually, whether that's through this through the uh, the tri agency reports or directly, and then you have some deciphering that needs to happen there so that it's actually digestible by consumers. Um, but I think for employers, the RxDC reporting delay to January 31st was welcome news. Some em employers were struggling just to get registered on CMS website, that was a hassle. And so, um, yeah, we've talked about that on other, in other forums, but um, that January 31st delay is welcome news and I think uh, was, was something everybody was hoping for. Um, okay, so moving on from transparency, what is the next healthcare policy that we'll have focus on in 2023? Well, I think with if we want to stay on the prescription drug theme, we can't expect to see the implementation of the Medicare drug price limits that was included in Biden's administration's Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and this is really going to create uh, some political battles because you have the consumer advocates on the one side that are in in support of this. And then you've got, of course, the drug manufacturers that take issue with this. Um, the, the pharmaceutical industry has been hoping that the Republican controlled Congress would help make some wholesale changes to this provision, but that's not going to happen. They may, they might see some chipping away at the law. Um, but the PBMs, the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers are also concerned with the Democrats in control at the Senate that there's going to be greater industry oversight. And so um, we will just have to watch how that unfolds. We again we bring up the Medicare drug price limits, uh, not because of their direct impact on our clientele, because our clients run uh, private uh, group health plans, either through the commercial market or self-funded. Um, and in fact, it was the commercial market was considered, but then excluded from the act. But there's still concern that it will have an indirect impact because um, it will cause cost shifting to the commercial market. So you, you reduce prices over here, but then it increased prices over there. Um, some brokers say that the cost adjustment is already baked in to the price negotiation process. Um, but the industry will really have to wait and see how the act's key provisions will take hold over the next six years of implementation. Uh, but again, the concern there is that uh, the the price shifting to the commercial market um, from any reduction in prices in the Medicare Medicaid market. Yeah, it's so interesting to talk about and, and hear you talk about the tensions too, right? On all of these issues, there's behind the scenes pulling and pushing going on between the different uh, interests here. And so that tension between consumer advocates and the pharmaceutical in industry is, is interesting to hear. And it really is kind of what drives Congress when they come up with these laws. There is no bigger tension, I, I don't think, in the country, right. abortion, right? Good so, lead into abortion, right. Right. So tell us about what we, we had 2022 where abortion travel was a hot topic. Tell us a little bit more about what, what to consider with abortion and, and employers in 2023. Yeah, so certainly the the overturning of Roe v. Wade um, really resulted in re reproductive rights being a crucial issue for many voters this fall. And according to the Kaiser Family Foundation 
four in 10 voters said that the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade had a major impact on their decision to vote. So you can see that it's it's really impacting um, some of your employees. And given the sensitivity around this topic and and really the related treatment and some of the access issues, you employers will need to be prepared to navigate this issue very carefully because there's definitely it's definitely polarizing with your employees um, and as well as watching for the changes that are occurring in the different states, especially as it relates to abortion travel benefits. So as Chase mentioned earlier, we have Compliance Corner and it provides state updates on new regulations and, and, and uh, legislation. So I would certainly continue to watch for any changes in your states, your relevant states um, in this area um, and uh, be careful in how you approach it. Yeah, and that's one that may depend heavily on the type of industry you're in. What is your employee base? Where in the country are you located? There's just so many different factors when it comes to abortion coverage to consider, but it's definitely something that's not going away, I don't think, for 2023. And uh, that also highlights just the overall challenge that employers have with a shift in workforce location uh, post-pandemic. We saw this relocation and an and, and increase in remote work which right. creates that state challenge of, okay, we, we used to just be in New York and now we're in New York and 35 other states because our employees have moved away. Right. Um, We've so seen that on our own teams, Chase. We've had people decide that they would prefer to live in another state. We said, that's great. It, it works perfectly. <laughs> yeah. And it can work perfectly, right? But sometimes the, the state issues get lost in that. And so employers are going to be up against that challenge increasingly particularly with states being so active. So uh, walk us through some of the other top state changes uh, that employers are going to have to consider. Well, you're right. I mean, I think you can never forget about state activity. We tend to focus on federal activity so much, but states really drive so much of uh, policy around health care. I mean, we saw nine states that established health care cost, cost commissions in recent years to try to address the healthcare spend in their states. And they've looked at it from a number of different approaches from uh, prohibiting certain anti-competitive practices to uh, reviewing, you know, taking a closer look at M&A, um, looking at drug pricing reforms and uh, just a number of different ways. So I'm, I'm gonna go through just a handful of samples of things that are happening in states, but it gives you, an, gives you some um, thoughts of, of what to look for, I guess, in your states. Um, in August, Illinois governor signed a package of legislation to require pharmacies to provide customers with the retail price of a prescription drug before purchase. And also it limited certain total monthly out-of-pocket costs for pre prescription drugs. So they're certainly trying to, um, part of that's a transparency uh, approach in, in making sure that that information is being provided. In Georgia, there was bipartisan legislation that was enacted to require the Department of Community Health to report on certain specifics of state health plans. So they were, again, they're reviewing data as it relates to their state health plans like hospital utilization and cost and county level provider data. So they're looking at their spend as it relates to their state health plans. And then in Arizona, a bill was enacted that required the healthcare facilities with more than 50 inpatient beds to make available upon request or online the direct pay price for at least 50 most common used DRGs, diagnosis-related codes, um, or, and I should say, at least 50 of the most common used outpatient service codes. So uh, this was signed in to, by the governor last March, but again, another approach to healthcare containment uh, cost in, in terms of transparency. 
And then the last saved the the most interesting one for last. Uh, Oregon passed a ballot measure to officially enshrine healthcare as a right in the state's constitution, and it's certainly the first state to do so. And so we, it's still not clear how they're going to, uh, how this is the methodology for attaining this is is going to be rolled out, and they're really having to consider a number of different aspects. And they've said that new tax increases is certainly not off the table. Um, but you have seen supporters insist that this was not a step towards single payer healthcare, but it's difficult really to see how making healthcare a human right doesn't shift the discussion towards single payer. So this will be, um, you know, certainly one to watch uh, and uh, very interesting indeed. Yeah, it's always interesting to see which states are doing what and Oregon, Colorado, Vermont, usually doing some interesting things. Right. So and you see Georgia and Arizona on this list too, but um, it just re-highlights, you know, you don't know what states are going to do and we've, we've got to stay on our toes to make sure we uh, know what they're doing and employers need to do the same. Um, and a lot of those laws that you just mentioned at the state level don't directly impact employers, meaning employers don't actually have to do anything. Right. Um, but the idea is to try and address healthcare costs which obviously have an impact on group health plan costs for employers. So there's that indirect link there um, to, to, to keep a tab on. Um, and again, we do our best to track uh, state legislation in our bi-monthly compliance corner. Another huge area that uh, employers have struggled with in 2021 and 22 is the paid family and medical leave laws right. at the state level. State mandated, changing. Right. State mandated disability state individual mandate reporting and we do have some excellent publications and, and quick reference charts that we use to track those that are helpful for employers as well um, so let's discuss a few more policies that are going to be sent front and center here suzanne what's next for 2020 well and the last two that i want to bring up are really things that we've been talking about for some time uh, the first one is telehealth we saw recently with the, the 2023 CAA, Consolidated Appropriations Act, um, a extension of the telehealth flexibility. Uh, the issue here is the interrelation with HSAs. On March 15th, 2022, President Biden signed legislation which restored the option of providing pre-deductible coverage of telehealth services for people with high deductible health plans and, of course, HSAs. So that became a strong uh, issue during the pandemic. Uh, but the March legislation did not make the pre-deductible coverage permanent, and so it was set to expire in December of, of 2022. Um, but we saw the CAA extended for another two years. So uh, it's not going to likely stop there. We're, we've seen new legislation that's been introduced with bipartisan, bicameral support to make this permanent. Uh, so I imagine that we will continue to see telehealth um, come up as, as a, a, a bipartisan uh, issue uh, until this gets resolved. Yeah, that's one that um, the the extended relief for two years is really helpful. And, and I think employers are all grateful for that as our employees. That's really important. Again, particularly in the remote work environment where access to healthcare may be easier via telehealth and that that's not going to conflict with HSA eligibility, but it would be amazing. I know speak for all employers, right. all compliance teams everywhere. If right. Keep that one permanent. Um, so we'll hope, that. we'll hope for that. Uh, we can't ignore or get through a discussion without mentioning 
mental health parity. So I'm guessing that's the last uh, topic you're going to hit on here. So mental health parity, we're, and we'll refer to obviously the, the legislation as MHPAEA. Um, right now, the focus on MHPAEA is enforcement. Um, so as a reminder, the MHPAEA compliance for ERISA-covered plans is administered by the DOL for the non-federal government plans, the CMS, uh, which is part of HHS. And um, the Department of Treasury also has enforcement authority. So in terms of the codes, we have ERISA, we have the Public Health Services Act and the Internal Revenue Co Code, all of which are a part of MHPAEA compliance. Uh, and they require plans and issuers to make available to the DOL, HHS, or Treasury a comparative analysis. Um, and that's really been the issue that's been getting uh, of note recently because of the difficulty with compliance and the supporting information that de demonstrates compliance with the MHPAEA. So starting with the Biden administration's proposed budget for fiscal year 2023, which of course we saw some time ago, we saw additional funding proposed for the DOL and for states to support mental health parity enforcement. As a reminder, um, I'm sure that you all remember that there had been some audits of these comparative analysis and they didn't go well. And so they have just said that they need to be done differently, but that no one was really doing it correctly. And I'm just really... Um, parsing that down to a few sentences, but that's it in a nutshell. So we saw Congress then focus on enforcement in September when the House passed the Mental Health Matters Act, uh, and that gave the DOL more authority to enforce parity, notably including a provision on PBM oversight. Um, and then on December 5th, the Senate Finance Committee released a draft legislation that was designed to also improve parity enforcement, but it was really focused on Medicare and Medicaid. And it would it would direct the GAO to examine Medicaid payment rates for behavioral health versus rates for physical care and Medicare patient access to addiction treatment. And then finally, we saw the 2023 CAA authorized five years of CMS grants totaling 10 million annually to be awarded among the states that agree to review health insurers non-quantitative treatment limitation comparative analysis. And that is the issue that has been a challenge for employers recently. Um, and that was required by the 2021 CAA. So this obviously hits fully insured plans, um, but as a self-funded plan, don't don't think that you're out of this as well. Um, but we've just seen greater uh, funding now um, at those levels. So as you can see, enforcement of mental health parity continues to be a priority both at the state and the federal level. So I would certainly continue to work on those non-quantitative treatment limitation comparative analysis and uh, work with your TPAs, uh, work with your carriers to make sure that it's being completed and uh, documented appropriately, yeah. whatever that means, since we don't have great guidance, right? <laughs> yeah, that one's been just a huge challenge for employers, and we've talked about it on other podcasts, but just the confluence of not, not having clear guidance of what this analysis should look like, combined with different parties holding the information, it's just been a really difficult one, but uh, definitely can't see it going away in 2023. And the overall goal is is probably a worthy one for most people to try and increase this awareness and, and help people have access to mental health benefits. Right. Yes. So uh, so enforcement is the uh, is the focus. Yeah. Well, great. It sounds like we have a lot to look forward to in 2023. I keep thinking every new year that this will be the year where we have less to think about from a compliance perspective. 
but that's the fun world we live in. That's the reason that we are on the podcast, Suzanne. We right. love this stuff. We love tracking it. We love breaking it down. And it's never a dull year or never even a dull week in the compliance world. <laughs> Thank you for walking us through these 2023 uh, policy issues to consider. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. And as we like to say on the podcast. That's a wrap. Thank That's you for joining us. Thanks for joining us.